Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 48. That's where we'll be today. Uh, we are getting close to the end of Genesis, so we, we are not far away. So we've been doing this for a long time, and, uh, and, and so we're close to the end of this, uh, of this great book, beginning book of the Scriptures, and it's been uh, encouraging for me. I hope it has been for you. And so uh, we're going to dive right in. We've got a lot to cover uh, today. We'll jump in. Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. The words will be on your screen if you want to follow along as well. So after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession." And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in the inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padam to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and, buried her, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself over with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before, the God before whom my fathers... Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of the fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father had his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be the greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, by you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than, I've given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. And that wraps up Genesis chapter 48. And so uh, 48 starts off with Joseph being told that his father's dying. That's what it just, 
tells us right out of the gate. You know, dying is something that, uh, man, we've been well too acquainted with at Refuge, right? We've just seen too much of it. Uh, it seems to come faster as I get older. It certainly seems to come faster. And more people that I know and more people that you know seem to be just passing away. It seems to be at a faster pace. And I guess that's what happens whenever you get a little bit older, right? We've had from 2018 to 21, just an unordinate amount of people within our own church family that have passed away. For a church that our size, that's just crazy. I, one of my uh, some dear friends in the ministry, they tell me that it's just really odd for a church that it's our size to experience the kind of grief that we've experienced over the last three years. It's honestly, it's too many. It was too often and many times it was just too overwhelming. That, that we've made it this far and, and continue to, to press forward is just a, just a testament to the Spirit and his, his work in us and through us. And uh, we just couldn't do this under our own accord. We couldn't do this under our own power. We would crumble under the weight of what that looks like through the years. It's been too, too much. You know, there's a theology of death that we got to watch through many of people, unfortunately, in our own congregation, but many people that we get to watch on a regular basis as death comes to the doorstep. There's a theology of death that we see that some people die well, right? I mean, some people, you know people that you've watched and they've died well. That means that they've run their race well and they get to the end of their life and they're like, man, you know, I've run my race well and I'm ready to move from this life into the next. I'm ready to move on to my reward. You've probably talked to your parents or somebody in your family or just a friend or somebody like that who has died well and you go, that, that is, that's, a, that's the way to do those kind of things. They believe that absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what we believe as fellow as Christians, that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's what we believe as Christians. Paul declared that very thing, that we move from this life into our re eternal reward, that, that there's something outside of this life, there's more outside of this life, and there's more to gain, that we store up treasures in heaven by the things that we do, by the souls that we lead to Jesus, that we store up treasures in heaven, so for those who are in Christ Jesus and die and move on to the next life, there is an eternal reward. To wait and to hear God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And those are words that I hope to hear. I want God to say that to me at some point when I move from this life into the next one. For the believer, this is the hope that we have. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit, then you have this same kind of hope that that's what it'll be like when you move from this life to the next. And then there's a theology for the unbeliever. There's a theology of death for the unbeliever because death at that time can become a fearful thing. A fearful thing to know that this is the end. That you come to the end of your life and what is there after that? Is it that you just die and you move into the ground and that's all there is? Well, unfortunately for the unbeliever, that's not what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us to be absent from the body is to also be severed from the comfort of the Lord. To be severed from the grace and the kindness of the Lord to those who died that are outside the household of faith. Unfortunately, many who come to the end of that life say it is my life to live and I'll do it my own way. 
here and now is the best part. Israel, as we read in Scripture, formerly Jacob, was clearly chosen by God. And now the Scripture tells us that he's at the end of his life. And he's kind of talking about some specific things. What, what will it be like at the end of yours? Thought about that? What will it be like at the end of your life? What are the things that you'll want to say? What are the things that you'll want to have accomplished? What's the life that you will have wanted to have lived? Because the end will come for us all. Right? The end will come for us all. You, it may be at age 86, which I've determined that's how long I'm living, because that's the year I graduated high school. <laughs> or maybe it's at 46. Or maybe it's at 16. We just don't know. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. The Lord numbers our days, right? The Lord tells us that he has numbered our days. And I always tell people that I'm invincible until the Lord says it's my time. You can't kill me until the Lord says it's my time. Nothing can take me out until the Lord says it's my time. He has numbered our days, the ends from the beginnings. But the scripture says, the scripture does tell us that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And so you can believe that or you don't have to believe that, but the reality is that's what the scripture tells us, that once we move from this life into the next life, there's, there's a point in under man wants to die, and then the judgment. So if you're, if you're here today and you're like, I don't really believe in God, I, I, don't, I don't believe he's real, or if you're watching online today and you go, hey, I don't believe in God, or I, I, don't, I don't have a theology of God, I, I'll just I'm here to tell you today that it is, appointed wants to, man to die, it is appointed for man wants to die, and then the judgment. Whether you believe in him or not, you'll stand before him one day. Amen? That's going to happen uh, one day. And as for Israel, his time was at hand. His time was, was at hand, and he was well aware of it. Uh, uh, verse 11, look in your text. It says, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected. It's kind of cool because the, the, the text kind of gives us a history of what was going on. And verse 11 says, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. God has let me see your offspring also. I, I've said this before and a couple times before, but, you know, we don't want to live with, as people with regrets. You don't want to live as people that, man, I wish I had, a, I should have, I wish I'd done that thing. And so because we don't know the ends from the beginnings, we don't know when those times are for us or our loved ones at anything at all, let me just encourage you to go spend some of that time with your family. That, time, that family you hadn't gone to see, that family you've been meaning to go do that, that grandmother, that mother, that, that father, that Whoever it is in your family that you've just been waiting to go and see and I'll get around to it, man, get you around to it and go. And just go and do that. Don't put that off anymore. Joseph said, man, I never expect to see your face. But behold, God has let me see your offspring too. He was fortunate to get a chance to see it. See, it's the Lord who plans our lives. It's the Lord who plans our lives. It is the Lord who establishes our steps. The, uh, this, this tells us this in the Proverbs, that it is the heart. In their hearts, humans plan their course, right? We all plan what we're going to do, but the Lord establishes our steps. 
The Lord is the one who sets out our life on the way it's going to go. We all make plans. They usually don't work out the way we expect them to work out, right? The Lord, though, has a plan for us. He knows the ends from the beginnings, and he is the one who establishes ourselves. We plan, we purpose, we press forward, but the Lord has our lives established and planned. And at this moment in our text, Israel wanted to speak a blessing over Joseph's son. So he, Joseph had brought his sons to him, and he said, I want, to pre, I want to speak a blessing over them. Look what it says in verse 14. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So this is what he, he pulled one of these stunts. So you know what? So you would think you would go up there and it's like, I'm going to lay my right hand on the, on the, old, on the, on the uh, firstborn, and I'll put my left hand on the secondborn. But he pulled one of these stunts and crossed his hands whenever he went to put the blessing on the children. And, and so Joseph tried to con- correct this misstep, and he was like, hey, hang on, uh, but, but that Joseph wouldn't have any of it. Look, look what he said. Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. So, so, so he's, Israel's got his hands like this, and Joseph has come up, and he's like, hey, dad, that's not the right way. This is the way your hands are supposed to go. And, and look what Look what his father said. I know. I got this. I, I, know, what I, I know what I'm doing up here. This reminds me so much of my dad, Big Jim. He, he, he like always knew what he was doing. Like there was no convincing him of any other way. I mean, he had decided in his mind that there was a certain way. I, don't, I can't imagine that that's flown, that flowed down to his offspring at all. But... <laughs> But, but once he sets his mind on something, it's hard to change his mind uh, about anything. But honestly, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And, and so uh, I, I'm pretty much the same way once I have my mind set about something. It takes a lot to convince me to change uh, my mind. I usually believe that I'm right about things. And why would I have an opinion if I didn't think it was the right way, right? Uh, so it does take some convincing for me. And, and, and so Joseph thought he was going to do some convincing with his father, but his father was like, I know what I'm doing. I, I'm well aware of, of what I'm doing. And, and my dad was the same way. Uh, and honestly, most people in my family are very strong-willed individuals and, and have very, very headstrong and throughout both sides of my family. And, and, and so are a lot of you. You're very headstrong in, in the ways that you believe and the way that you hold and think. And a lot of strong, independent voices here at Refuge, and we welcome those. We seem to attract them, and you're all... Your strong, independent voice is welcome here. Uh, we, we like that. Uh, I, I really love people that, that you're kind of like me. So uh, we get along really well. Uh, so, so Israel blessed the boys, and then he gave an extra blessing to Joseph is what the text tells us. And, and so this was, um, this was Israel's legacy. This was his parting words. And these were his wishes, and that's what he had spoke over the two boys. And, you know, we do the same kinds of things in our, uh, in our life whenever we write a will. Uh, whenever you're going to write a will, then, then you're giving your blessing to your family, or you're saying, hey, this is what I want to happen with my family, and this is what, how I want things to play out whenever I die. I, I want them, you, you put down your wishes, and uh, uh, you declare what you want done with your assets whenever you pass on from this life to the left, and uh, to the next, and um, and, and usually the family has some discussion around that, around how this is going to play out, and 
And so my experience with that was, it's been kind of all over the map. And, and so it was an unfortunate thing when my dad passed away. Uh, he had had a will. He told people all through, uh, all throughout Corinth, Mississippi, where I'm from, uh, he told all the people about what he was going to do, about the land we had, how he can't wait to give it to his boys and all this kind of stuff. And the reality was he ended up marrying a lady uh, that was a snake, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And uh, by the time we got to my dad's death and he passed away and we went to read the will, my brother and, and me and, and our wives sat and with, his, uh, uh, with his widow, and they re- he said, this will, take, this will be real quick. And he opened up the will and said, I'll leave everything that I have to his wife. Like, like not a dime to me and my brother, not a smidge of land, not anything else. And so anyway, things didn't go the way we thought they were going to go. And so plan your life out the way that you... Um, uh, that you want it to be, because I hope your experience will be different from mine and my uh, from and from mine and my brother's experience. Each of you should leave a legacy for your children, and here's the deal: you will leave a legacy for your children. It just depends on how you choose for it to be. It could be blessings or cursings. You're, you're creating a legacy right now. We, we see that in the text. that, he's, that uh, Israel's wanting to speak a blessing over his family, and you do those same kind of things. You will leave blessings, or you'll give cursings to your family in the way that you live and conduct your life. You'll leave inheritance to your family, or you'll leave a boatload of debt for your family. You'll leave a masterpiece for your family, or you'll leave a mess for your family. You get to kind of make some of those decisions. You get to decide what's it going to be like. What's it going to be like when I pass from this life to the next one? What am I going to leave for my family? I highly encourage you, no matter what your age is, to get your house in order. Get your house in order. Don't wait. Don't wish that you would have. And don't waver on being generous with what you have and what you leave behind. But today, just as Israel spoke a blessing over Joseph's sons, I want to remind you of the blessing that you already have in Christ Jesus. You have a blessing already in Christ Jesus if you are a Christian, if you're part of the household of faith. If you've chosen to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, Paul wrote that very thing to the church at Ephesus. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. Turn your Bibles over to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to see what this inheritance is. Just as Joseph was leaving an inheritance to his children, though God has given us an inheritance to receive as those who are followers of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, we'll begin reading in verse 3. This is what the text says. I'm going to do this for the first time in 12 years. Not happy about this. I was up here a few weeks ago and started to read out of my Bible, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm I'm, I'm giving it one of these, and I'm like, I'm not doing this again. I'm going to put on my specs. Here's what the text says. Look away. Just look away. Just look at your Bible. Paul says this, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set, before, which he set forth in Christ um, as, a, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained a what? An inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ, we were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation to the knowing him, the, um, in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope which he has called you to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over things, it gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you go, man, that's a lot. That is a lot that Paul wrote to this. I just want to bring out some things that you're, that is your inheritance, the inheritance that you have now, the things that God has given to you in Christ Jesus. I want you to be encouraged by this very text today that there, once we, that we get this as followers of Jesus. First is this, that we are chosen before the foundation of the world. Verse four. You and I, if you're a Christian, you were chosen to be part of the family of God before the foundation of the world. You, you've been chosen before. You should know that your life matters if you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Your life matters. Your existence is not some accident. You are not some byproduct of something else, some natural selection. You were intended to be here, and God has redeemed you. He knew you before you were born. He knew that you would be his before you were born. Uh, God was thinking about you before you were ever born because he knew he would create you and call you to himself. Before he ever said, let there be light, he knew that he would call you unto himself. All the Christians ought to say amen about that. Y'all ought to wave a hanky or something about that. Before the world ever was, God knew that you would be his. My goodness, come on. Amen. That is good stuff. So he chose you before the foundation of the world. Not only, he, he says that you are holy and blameless in verse 4. He says, in Christ, you are holy and blameless. You are holy and blameless. That means that you are fit to serve him, that you are fit to come into his presence. You are fit to come right into the throne room of grace despite your sin. 
Because Jesus has already covered your sin debt. Jesus has already paid for your sin debt. He has taken on the punishment for your sin. God enjoys you when you approach him. God enjoys you whenever you come to his throne to find grace and help in your time of need. You're not righteous because of what you do. You're righteous because of Jesus. And that righteousness has been imputed to you. You are holy and blameless because we get the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? That's good. Come on now. Y'all will have to get a little bit excited about this today. Thirdly, he says, in his love, in verse 4, see, we stand in the love that we get from Jesus, we stand in like agape love or unconditional love. So that's the love that God has for us. It's not conditional about how we act, the things that we do, the things that we, the, the sins that we continue to commit because we are covered in Christ's blood. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And so we stand in his unconditional love. Say unconditional love. Unconditional. Yeah, that's the love that we stand in with God. You can't earn that love. Today, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are unconditionally loved by God. Have you received that? Have you received that? Do you feel that love today? Do you believe that that's how you're loved by God today? Because that's what it means whenever you repent of your sins and you put your faith and trust in Jesus and his righteousness, you get that unconditional love regular, on the regular in his love. Then he says this, that we are predestined to adoption. So here's what it says. God has predetermined to call you his own in Christ. Now, I know that makes some church people real squirrely whenever you start using that word, that P word, right? Predestined. And everybody gets all squirrely, but it's a biblical word. I mean, it's in the scriptures. You may not like the doctrine of predestination. You may not like the, th you may like, I don't like, that's not what I who believe God is. It don't matter if you believe that's what God is or not. That's what he just said. The scripture says it in black and white. He predestined us for love in Christ Jesus. My goodness. And so that he has predestined you to be called his own in Christ Jesus. He has selected you to become his son or his daughter. And he has made you part of his family. You know, many times whenever parents adopt a child and they go through the process and, 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 they, and they make a decision about who they're going to adopt or who they're not going to adopt, it, God already went through his decision-making process a long time ago. And he decided that he was going to adopt you if you're in Christ Jesus, that you were his, that he wanted you to be his. How cool is that? I think it's cool. We are accepted in the beloved. Verse 6 says that we are accepted in the beloved. It means we're not rejected. You're not rejected. You are accepted. God loves you and he has accepted you into his family. You are not an outcast. You are not unworthy of his approval. The creator of the universe accepts you and calls you because of Jesus, because you have repented and you have followed Jesus. You, Jesus is your master. He said, on the basis of Jesus' righteousness, God accepts you. That's how he calls you into his family. And he says, because of Jesus, now you're mine. And I think of you in that very same way. You have been relationally reconciled in Christ. So now you are pleasing to God. Because in Christ is the way that we become pleasing to God. Not on our own righteousness, but because the righteousness of another. You might not have health in all your relationships or anything at all like that. They, they may be... Uh, uh, they may be squirrely or whatever else there is, but in Christ, there is nothing between you and God. 
Uh, guys, I've lost this up here, so you're just going to have to roll with me uh, in the next one. The next is, you have redemption through his blood. There we go. Look at that, tech team. You have redemption through his blood. Outside of Jesus, you were enslaved to your sin. You know this? Before you became a Christian, you were enslaved to your sin. It is the one who held a grip on you. You couldn't help but sin because that's all there was to it. But in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. You couldn't buy your way into heaven. You couldn't earn your way into heaven. But we have redemption through his blood. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of the, pre of the precious blood of Jesus. He accepts us and calls us his own. Next it says in verse 7 that we have the forgiveness of sins. See, in our lives, we've turned our backs on God morally. We've just kind of give. Well, I say we give him the Heisman, right? We give him one of these. Uh, I'll, I'll stay over here and just keep your distance. But the reality is uh, we may rebel against heaven. We may rebel against God. But then he has, he has called us to himself. He has uh, opened our eyes to the beauty of the gospel and has called us to himself. Instead of running away, we run to him now. We have the opportunity, even in the middle of our sin, to run to him and confess our sin. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to hide from God anymore. He loves us and wants us to confess our sins to him. Next, he says this in verse 7 and 8, in the riches of his grace abound to you. Grace means unmerited favor. That we don't, have, we don't have favor that we earn from God. We don't have to do things. We don't have to work like a circus pony to get God to like us and to love us. That we have unmerited favor in Christ Jesus. There is an abundant measure of unmerited favor flowing to us like a river. It doesn't ever stop. It just keeps on coming. It just keeps on coming as unmerited favor just keeps coming towards us in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 9 that we, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Look, we live in a fallen world that there's a lot of things that happen, that there is uh, uh, sin and there is disease and, and there's just bad things that you turn on the news and we can find there are bad things that happen all the time in our world that, that happen to what we would say are seemingly good people, right? They're just trying to do their thing and, and live a life and, and go to work and raise their families and, and bad things still happen. But God has revealed his solution to all the sin that is in the world. He wrapped all that up in Jesus and knows that this is not our home, that we're just passing through as pilgrims, that there is a life out there, there is an eternal life out there, that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, that we move from this life into the next life. If something takes us out, then we move into this next life that follows Jesus. And into our, eternal, into our eternal reward where sin and death and hell cannot affect us anymore. Amen? That's good stuff. Scripture says that we have obtained an eternal inheritance in verse 11. Revelation 21 describes heaven in the following ways. It says, And God will wipe away every tear from the eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. This is your inheritance. That all that stuff passes away. That we are inheriting that a new life in Christ Jesus. And none of that will ever be able to take it away from us. 
Verse 13 says that you and I have heard the word of truth. We preach the gospel on a regular basis here at, regu- at, uh, at Refuge. And, and so that we have heard the word of truth. God's truth is a light in darkness. It is the light that pierces the darkness. It becomes illuminating in the darkness. So if you're here and you're outside the household of faith or you're struggling with whether, whether to believe, then you need to hear this gospel message. You need to hear the fact that the gospel is light in darkness. That it is darkness that calls us to run away from God and hide, but it is light who illuminates that time for us. It is light who calls us, or we are called into the light. That we don't have to live in the dark. We declare it every week at Refuge. You hear the good news that Jesus rescues sinners. Don't reject that today. Don't miss that today. If you've missed it all your life, you go, man, I've been coming to refuge for eight years. And you know what? I, I, just now I'm going, wait, what is this thing about the gospel? Maybe the, God, you are, the, the light is coming through to you today. That's what we hope is happening with you. You're hearing the word of truth. He goes on to say that we're in verse 13, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That once we have become uh, a Christians, that we are sealed, that nobody can snatch us out of the hand of God. And we are sealed, closed, we are closed with the Holy Spirit of God. He, he's, uh, verse 18 says, you know the hope of his calling. He has called us. Uh, you can put all your eggs in this one basket because he has called us and said, man, we are all in. He is an anchor. He is a rock. The faith that you have in Jesus will never be in vain. You can be all in for this. I want you to be all in for this. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Last two things. You are the riches of his inheritance. Verse 18 says this. You are of great value to Jesus. You are of great value to Jesus. Scripture says in this that as Christ brought, brings us back to God, God gives us back to Jesus, that we are his inheritance, that we belong to him. You are valuable in Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He cherishes you because he has redeemed you and made you his own. And then lastly, in verse 19 and 20, Paul says the exceeding greatness of his power is toward you. He's toward you. The exceeding greatness of his power is toward you who believe. What kind of power is this? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that conquered sin and hell and death. And if you've been born again, the same power is present with you today. Same power. We sing that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in us today. Amen? Man, that is good stuff. Look, don't lose sight of these glorious truths that God has said that we have been, that we have inherited and that is our inheritance as followers of Jesus. And so uh, just as Israel chose to, to, to do things, to give a blessing that were out of the norm, so we get some blessings that are out of the norm. And we live as people who do things out of the norm. And so as Christians who all these things belong to, that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and said, all these things belong to us. This is your spiritual blessing. He said, here's some things that we need to remember. This is first one. The world says you should follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. Follow your heart is one of those things that sounds really sexy, right? One of those things that you just say in a moment, hey, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Your heart's wicked. 
Okay? Follow Jesus. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. Man, I, I'm all about self-confidence. I'm all about, man, you got to go get out there and you got to work hard, do all those kind of things like that. Man, we put our faith and our confidence, not on our own abilities. Man, I'm going to crumble. I'm falling apart up here, you know? And so why do I put my confidence in me? I'm going to put my confidence in the rock, baby. And not, not the wrestler of the rock, but, but in Jesus the rock, you know? I mean, the rock, if I was doing somebody on the earth, it'd be that rock. But I mean, I'm talking about the rock of our salvation. I'm, we're going to put our, our confidence in Jesus, who is our rock. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Man, that is such a countercultural message for us today because whenever we deny ourselves, the scripture says, Jesus says, man, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You, you familiar with that scripture? You know what that means? That means you're not important anymore. Take up your cross means, we know what that means? That means you're going to die. Think about this. That's what Jesus did. He took up his cross, went to Calvary to be nailed to it to die. And so when he says for you to take up your cross, for us to take up our cross, that means we're going to die to ourselves today. It's not about me. Not about you. It's about following Jesus. Deny ourselves. Take up our cross. Die to ourselves. Follow him. That's what we're called to. Lastly, says, lastly, the world says, be true to you. And Jesus says, be true to me. Be true to him. And he has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's given us a hope and a future. He has given us an inheritance. An inheritance that belongs to us that no one can take away. Brothers and sisters, I'll leave you with this. Israel was leaving a legacy to his family. That's what was happening in our text today. Is leaving a legacy to his family, and the reality is you'll leave a legacy for your family too. And so, let it be said of each of us that we are people who love fiercely, that we just love one another. Love one another because God in Christ Jesus has first loved us. Secondly, that we lead well. We lead well in our families, that we may make unpopular decisions sometimes in our families, but we lead well and we do the best thing that we can possibly do around leading others around in our families, specifically in our families. Men, I'm speaking to you mainly. I'm not excluding you ladies, but I'm specifically speaking to you men. Lead your families well. Don't be a passive leader in your home. God did not call you to that. He called you to love your family, lead your family. Love, lead your family. Be, we want to we go for the long fall, so we want to last, okay? For, for as many days as God has given us, we want to run the race. So we want to we last in, in what we're doing. We don't want to just burn out somewhere along the way. So this is not a, it's not a sprint that we live on. It's a marathon that we're running. We're running, we're running the race that is set before us. We're running the race that is set before us. And I want us all to last. I don't want us to all throw our hands up in the air and go, oh my goodness, I've tried so hard and I just can't do it anymore. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is I'm giving it all over to Jesus. I'm dying to myself. The Spirit is at work in me and He is the one doing the work. When He's the one doing the work, it's not exhausting. I promise. It's long days sometimes, long nights sometimes, difficulties, uh, sorrow and tears. 
All those things. But the truth is, he's the one that does the work in us. So let's last, people. And lastly, just as Israel was coming to speak a word of encouragement to his family and leaving a legacy, I want you to leave a legacy. I want you at the end of your life to be able to go, I want to speak a legacy over you. I, I want to talk about the things that God has done in, my, in our lives. I just want to remind you of the things that he has done. I want to remind you of the kindness that he has shown to us and our family through the years. I want to remind you of the good things that has happened in our lives. I want to speak a blessing. I want to leave a legacy. And that legacy should be one that is filled with gospel, filled with love, filled with care, filled with gospel announcement, pronouncement, the way we love one another, the way we care for one another, the way we sacrifice for one another. Leave that legacy. That's what, that's what Israel was doing. And I encourage each of us to do the same. Let me pray for us.